Welcome to the Becoming Beautiful I Am podcast. My name is Joan Samuels Dennis, also known as Dr. Joan. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a teacher and a professor, a professor in a brand new age in the midst of COVID-19. COVID-19 is shifting um, how we relate to one another, um, how we relate to ourselves, how we even relate to God. I referred to 2020 as the year and the decade of awakening, but in the midst of COVID-19, I now know I had absolutely no idea what to expect when I talked about awakening. So I've spent the last four years moving through an intense training program, and that training program was really my spiritual awakening program. And I observed how I changed as I moved through the process. And now I teach other people how to move through that same process with ease and a little bit more grace (laughs) than I might have had as I moved through the journey. I'm a nurse psychotherapist. So let me ask you, did you know that nurses do psychotherapy? Yeah, we do. And we are actually really good at it. So I practice a style of therapy called becoming therapy. It combines a number of methods, but it makes forgiveness front and center of the entire process. So hang on before you go all wild on me and, you know, oh, here's another person talking about forgiveness. Uh, Let me talk to you about the type of forgiveness that I'm referring to. I call it a conscious Christ-like forgiveness, but perhaps I can explain to you what it is that I mean by kind of contrasting it with what I don't mean. Because people, like I said, go to all sorts of places. So when I say forgiveness, I don't mean forget the wrong that was done to you. No, actually, what I'm asking you to do instead is to remember every detail of the event that caused you to be harmed. And later on, I'll explain why it's so important to to remember every detail. And when I say forgiveness, I don't mean let go of the negative emotions and move on. You know, some people just say, oh, why don't you just move on? No, this style of forgiveness asks instead that you just become really pristinely clear and conscious of the negative emotions and the things that trigger them because the negative emotions are really about your fears. So when you have a negative emotion because a moment or an interaction has happened, really what that is telling you is that there is possibly this event that you need to forgive, but there is likely, more than likely, an earlier event that connects with this one that you need to look at, learn some life lessons, and move forward. So the moving on is not about just moving on from this individual or this thing that can cause you harm, but it's literally peeling away a layer of fear that is still sitting with you. So I wrote the book 490 Forgive and Live Fearlessly. And so when I say the layers of fear, there really are these layers of fear that are connected with these moments that happen in our lives. And so this particular forgiveness process helps you to examine the fears and then eventually move to a place where you live fearlessly. 
Some people think that when I say forgiveness, it also means that you reconcile. So, you know, for those people who are like, that person really harmed me and I am never getting back together with that person again, it's okay. (laughs) I am not demanding that you reconcile with anyone because forgiveness and reconciliation are absolutely two different things. When I say forgiveness, though, what I'm asking you as you forgive and you, you know, move through the process of becoming consciously aware of things, I am asking you to discern who is good and capable of having loving and authentic connections and who is not. There are some people who are safe and there are some people who are unsafe. And so if you love yourself, you will protect You will not only protect yourself, but you will protect others because that's what love is. So more on that to come, but I just wanted to give you a sense of what I'm talking about when I say forgiveness. So 2019 marked the 400th year since my African ancestors were brought to the Americas, both North and South America, and they were brought here as slaves. And... That has done a lot of harm to our people. And some of us recognize that harm and some of us don't because we've had very, very different experiences. There is such a diversity in our experiences that some of us double over with the pain of our ancestors, while some of us, we have no connection to it. So one of the things I pride myself on is facilitating the healing work that is needed in order for us to take up our true position as the children of a living God, the the Israelites. If you want to think about this symbolically, the way that I think about it is 2019 would have been the 400 mark in what I call the Abrahamic covenant. And there have been a number of 400 year cycles over time. And the African diaspora is a part of one of those cycles where we are are enslaved. And I'm going to talk about the Abrahamic covenant a little bit later, so I don't want to get too much into it. But there's a process now of healing. There's a process now of drawing close to God. There's a process now of returning to him and and then taking up our positions and our places and then really walking into that promised land. So I help people and groups who have been harmed um, to actually speak truth, to forgive, and then move through a reconciliation process. So um, that's one of the parts of my job that I really, really love. Now, I've given you a few um, descriptions and talked to you about, you know, different parts of myself, the essence of who I am. But I would say that the most important essence of who I am is that of a dreamer and a visioner. And so you might be asking, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to take you to two passages of scripture, um, because by now you've noticed that I'm referring to scripture. Um, You have heard me talk about the Abrahamic covenant. So you know that I'm also a person who loves God, who sees that. Uh, There are prophetic things that are happening in our environment who sees the awakening as something that is spiritual, as well as a conscious humanitarian endeavor that we are all moving through. 
Um, so Joel 28 verse 2 and Acts 2 verse 17 speak about a promise that God has given all of us. And it says this, and it shall come about after this that I shall pour out my spirit on all mankind. So all of us will have God's spirit. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Yes, they will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see vision. And uh, Acts 2 verse 17 says it slightly differently. It reverses a few things. It includes it includes the daughters and the sons in this. And it says your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see divinely prompted visions and your old men shall dream divinely prompted dreams. So I would say I experienced my first vivid dream that surprised me and let me know that it was more than a dream when my grandmother died. And that would have been the night uh, that she died. I was about 20 or 21 at the time. And I experienced my first vision when I actually awoken, awakened, <laughs> when I awoke, <laughs> um, I experienced my first vision in 2017. Um, and I'll talk more about uh, that vision in episode one and two. But in this episode, I just wanted to offer a bit of an introduction in terms of what you might expect as you listen to Becoming Beautiful I Am. Now, it's taken me a long time to answer a couple of questions because I've been called to speak, but the challenge that I've had, even as I was developing this podcast, and eventually when this becomes a TV show, is, you know, the kind of the question, what am I to say and who's the audience that I'm eventually to speak to? You know, what's the message that I'm supposed to bring? And, you know, essentially, what do I talk about? And so... When you have a spiritual experience, like a very vivid dream that leads you into spiritual territory, or you have a vision that obviously is extremely like embedded in some of these spiritual experiences that others have spoken about, one of the first places you think you can share this with is, is with churches. You know, like whether you go to your pastor or whether you go to the people that are in the church or people you know that are Christians and are supposed to be spiritual, well, you, you want to share it with them because you're excited. And I have to say that I moved through a process and it was a really hard process for me because I learned the hard way that Christians, quite frankly, think that people with visions and dreams are, well, they're not only odd, but they're kind of crazy. And so, you know, there's a typical response that comes from people and they kind of fall into three lines or three territories. And I got to say that in the beginning, I was a bit naive. You know, I really didn't even notice until it started to harm me. So the first ep the first kind of response is <laughs> what I call a zoned out look. You know, like it's kind of like a look that says, uh, what do I do with that? You know, some people might snicker, they might make a joke, but they totally make you feel weird. You know, like they don't even uh, examine the message. Uh, they just want you to go away. And I met so many pastors that 
kind of just gave me the message, go away. They didn't help me to interpret the visions or the dreams. They had no clue. And so I found myself um, stuck in a place where I just kind of had to wait until the, the meaning came. And eventually it did. But I think this journey of mine could have been so much easier if there had been people who had moved through a similar process and were willing to help me understand it. And so part of what I'm doing and part of what this show is about is to help people receive what I didn't get. (laughs) And so, you know, what I call the people who kind of land in this space or this kind of response territory, I call them non-seekers. They are the people who don't ask questions. They are the people who don't step outside the box and, um, you know, they see other people who are, who are seeking and who are experiencing, um, like I said, it's just a little bit crazy. (laughs) And then there's another response, um, which is like, that's an amazing dream or vision. Tell me more. Um, Or even better, you know, like, what threshold did you cross for that to happen? Like these people are interested in actually going where you've gone. You know, these folks see something special and they learn from what they hear or visualize as you tell them the story. And they even want to know how to get to that place, you know. Um, So guess who these people are? Yeah, these people are the people who love God with zeal and zest. Um, They realize from a really deep place within that religion is not where you find the most high. You know, it's not the place where you find the true God. And I call these people the seekers, Uh, people who know there's something we're supposed to experience on our spiritual journey. And yet they see that it's absent uh, from the church. And it's not like it's absent from all churches. It's just, I think it's absent from maybe 95%. There's a third group, and quite frankly, they surprised me. And I'm not sure why it surprised me, because I had read the stories of Joseph at least a hundred times, but... This is the group that moves into a place of jealousy and envy almost as soon as you utter that you have had a spiritual experience in the form of a dream or a vision. Quite frankly, they don't care about the vision. They don't care about the lessons that are embedded in it or its meaning for them or humanity or for me. The only thing that matters to them is that they put you in your place. How dare you talk about something they don't have, right? That's kind of like the position, right? Um, How dare you suggest that you have a special relationship with God? And so they ask the question, like I've just said, what makes you so special? And really, in a lot of ways, they're asking the question, why am I not special enough to have that kind of experience? And so what I want to say to some of those that might be sitting in that category right now, but are also sitting, you know, crossing the border of being the seeker and being that person who's envious is, I don't think I'm special. 
But here's what I did that I know um, allowed me to commune with God in these dreams and these visions. And the only, the only way for me to say it is the way that Jesus said it. Ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Yeah, that's it. And I mean it. That's it. I had a zeal and a zest. I wanted to know God. I wanted to experience God. And I was willing to meditate. I was willing to do what we call listening prayer. Some of these practices that I'm going to be introducing you to um, as I move through this podcast, I was willing to sit silently and just wait for God to answer. I was willing to pray different types of prayers and to ask that God answer. And I think that inclination and that willingness to go out on a limb and say, God, catch me, um, is perhaps one of the most important things one can do. Um, and God will respond. So the seeker, the one who asks and expects an answer will hear from God. You know, you might be the one who has gone down many rabbit holes searching for God. There's a lot of people because our Christian religion does not actually address spirituality that go off to the East seeking a way to connect and to grow and to mature spiritually. But because we don't actually teach people how to do that, um, you know, as a, you know, other than going to your Bible study and doing your prayers, we don't actually teach people how to grow and transform and mature. So there's a lot of us who go down rabbit holes searching for God, but, you know, eventually you find your way. And so the one who goes down those rabbit holes is actually going to find God. The one who has been knocking and asking God to open a door and yet has not even yet you're not even conscious of what it is that you're doing. You're the person who's going to find God. So that's what I did. I asked, I knocked, and I, you know, just waited for the answer. One of my favorite podcasts is the Bema podcast with Marty Solomon and Brent Billings. And the other day, as the desire to speak kind of pressed in with more force than ever before, I had a question. I just kept saying over and over to God, what am I saying? What am I talking about? You know, like if I do this podcast, what is the message that you want me to bring? And in the middle of my walk, as I listened to Marty talk about the wedding ceremonies of the Jewish and Israelite people, he said something that helped me to finally understand one of my visions. And then the answer came. And the answer simply was, start with your dreams and your visions. And I am a big believer in this. You start and God will finish. So at this point, you might be asking the question. So Dr. Joan, um, you know, you might say, what is becoming beautiful I am? And what do you hope to accomplish with this podcast? And well, I'm so happy you asked. <laughs> 
And I think rather than answer that question directly, let me share now a dream that I had not too long ago. And I'm going to read an excerpt from a book I edited and published uh, just about a month ago called Becoming the Journey to Love. So here we go. The dream begins on the shores of Africa. I stand with two men on a beautiful but narrow shoreline, and I take in the beauty of the scenery. And though I'm in Africa, the place reminds me of the Caribbean. The beach sits below a massive and ever-expanding mountain, the heights of which would compare to a 100-story building. The face of the mountain is rough and strong. The light clay-colored contours of the mountain shimmer in the backdrop of the perfectly blue sky. The top of this mountain is adorned by rolling hills with green, carpet-like grass. I stand at the base of this mountain with two white men dressed as sailors. Their outfit is something from another time. Cream-colored shorts with a delicately designed shirt, white shoes, and socks that come to the point just below their knees. I'm going to find my friend Ameze, I say to the two white men. The expression on one of the men's faces catches my attention. It was as though he was saying, why would you go searching for her now? But without any further discussion, I head off down the beach. And though there is no path up this massive mountain, I look for a place to begin my climb. And not long after starting my climb, something from deep in my spirit tells me to look out at the ocean. And it is then that the quizzical look on the man's face makes sense. Way off in the distance is a massive wave, a tsunami, the height of the mountain I now climb. My heart jumps and begins to race. And at that moment, I am faced with a decision. Do I turn back or continue? I look out at the wave one more time and I notice something. The wave is moving slowly, slow like a turtle. I have all the time I need to get to the top of this mountain. So I redecide. I'm going to find my friend Ameze. My decision sends a signal to the God of the universe. As I continue my climb, a path avails itself. The path is small, but worn. Many have gone before me. Young trees spread out on both sides, and like the top of the massive mountain, the grass is the purest shade of green. Time means nothing in this place. I walk the path and soon come to the entrance of a village. As I enter the village, I notice it is completely shrouded in tall, majestic trees that offer a refreshing shade. The ground is not grass but rich black soil. In this village, life is simple. The villagers are black women who live in tiny houses that sit on stilts. There is a godly character that emanates from these women. They are strong, wise, kind, and pure. A woman with beautiful black skin passes me as I make my way to the highest point in the village. And it's not the fruit basket on her head that catches my attention, but her dark skin resembles the beautiful soil on which she walks. 
And as she passes me, she gives me a warm and welcoming smile. Another woman sits at the entrance of her home and says hello with a wide smile expressed only by her beautiful eyes. Peace. Peace. There is only peace in this place. I eventually make my way to the center of the village, and I begin to ask the women gathered there if they know where I can find my friend Ameze. Ameze doesn't live here, dear, one woman says to me. She lives in a village a good distance from here. She notices I'm contemplating the thought of continuing the journey and immediately intervenes. You won't be able to travel any further today, she announces. You better settle in with us. The wave is coming. She welcomes me in. And though we are four in her tiny house, there is more than enough room for me, her, and her two children. I'm aware that her son is the only male in the entire village. In this tiny home is a small kitchen, a bedroom, and a living room. The place is meticulously decorated. Humility decorates hers and I suspect all other homes in this village. An ambiance of grace and mercy fills the air. and We chat together for hours while the wave slowly moves in and overtakes the village. Its presence is fully known when the house lifts off its stilts and begins to rock like a boat on water. And though the water should come in through the floorboards, the floor remains completely dry. From the living room, I look out a large window and the awesomeness of the view humbles me. The great wave has covered everything. Like the days of Noah, the earth is covered. For the first time, my thoughts return to the two men on the beach. How did they survive the massive wave, I wondered. And it is then I remember the clipboard with the passenger manifest one man held in his hand. These men were sailors, and they survived daily by going out in their ships. Time passes as I watch the tsunami become a river under my feet. My friend Ameze now sits on a chair in the small living room where I stood consumed by the awesomeness of the wave. Born in Nigeria, her name means river water, peaceful. So peaceful water sits and she talks with me. Her skin is black and beautiful like all the women in this village. My peace is complete with her presence. She's not mesmerized by the wave like I am. She has had a busy day and she passes on a nugget of wisdom just before I wake. That day, her task was to make a presentation to a group of people in another village but she had shown up late for some reason she did not reveal. And as she recounted the events of the day, she recalled the scolding of a young man named Abe. That was a good presentation, he said with a disapproving tone. But you need to show up on time. The people here are relying on us, and it's important that you organize yourself and show up on time. And even in the midst of his reprimand, in a state of complete peace, I wake. So, what do I want for this podcast? What do I want for you? 
what do I want for all humanity? Well, it's really simple. And that dream, vision, says it all. I want peace. And so I, you know, I have to address what peace looks like. Um, you know, have you ever been in that place of quiet rest where there is stillness, where there is harmony, where there is just a sense of completeness, of tranquility? It's hard to understand what that looks like until you've experienced it. It's hard to even attempt to describe it. So I hope the dream vision that I just read about and that I experience now in the everyday can be yours. I want you to sit in your own tiny house at the top of that mountain and experience a peace that you can only call the indwelling peace of God. I want you to make the decision like I did to rise, you know, go up the mountain and become like God. Beautiful, I am. So I want to say that my peace was lost before I was even born. It was lost over 401 years ago when my ancestors entered Egypt, the Egypt of our time. You know, it's that place of physical, mental, social, and spiritual enslavement. And all of us, all humanity is in that place anyways. But I think there's always a people that represents that symbolically represents that place of enslavement. And so as the African diaspora is facing its own tsunami, we have to realize what the tsunami represents. The tsunami represents chaos. It represents our greatest fears. It represents the things that overwhelm and cover us. But I want to say that it's not the tsunami that kills us. It's our unwillingness and our inability to rise. It's our inability to go up the mountain and become the very image of God. And I'm hoping that what I will be showing you are the spiritual practices and the ways of being that allow you to rise and go up that mountain with a confidence that I lacked as I did it, and mostly because I didn't have the support that I needed as I went up that mountain. So I hope to be the support for those who are seekers and those who are wanting to rise in this new age that is coming, the age of peace. You know, as an African, uh, as someone of African descent, I'm holding firm to the Abrahamic promise. You know, for a while now, I've called 2020 the decade of awakening. And awakening is not something that we have to even try to do. It happens immediately after a period of rest. So the way that I see COVID at this point is that it is happening right in the midst of what would be considered the Passover that is outlined in the Bible. And that this period of time is a period where God is calling us in. He's calling us inward. Go into your house 
with your family. You know, put the blood of Jesus Christ over um, your doorposts and around and simply be at rest and have your period of, you know, um, worship, have your period of rest in me. Um, Abraham had this nightmare. And after he had this nightmare, this was what, after God showed him the stars in the sky and said, your descendants will number the stars in the sky. And after that, he had a nightmare. And God immediately interprets that. And in Genesis 15, verse 13 to 16, he says, know for sure that your descendants will be like strangers living temporarily in the land. Egypt, that's not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But on that nation whom they, your descendants will serve, I will bring judgment. And afterward, they will come out of that land with great possessions. And as for you, you shall die and go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, your descendants shall return here to Canaan, the land of promise, for the wickedness and the guilt of the Amorites is not yet completed or finished. You know, and what I see in this dream are two ways of being. There's a way of being that is represented by the white men on the beach. And this is not about race. This is about a way of being. One that's represented by the white man that has to do with self-reliance and the other that's about rising to that place where you trust God to be the foundation of your peace. So survival for, you know, the self-reliant individual is, you know, it's determined by human ingenuity. The building of boats, for example, how good are you at building your boat? How big a boat can you build? Um, you know, it's about building the watchtowers, you know, and keeping a watchful eye on the wave, you know, charting the course that sees to it that we survive, you know, just for another day. But then the other way of being is represented by the, the black women. And again, this is not about race. This is about an inner way of being. I call it rising Sometimes I call it a spiritual transformation process. But, you know, in the dream, I'm taking notice of the color of the women's skin and the connection to the earth that they walk on, the earth that supports them. And, you know, and as I celebrate this knowing, I, I, I can only call the process becoming beautiful. I am. And survival for this group is a spiritual transformation journey, a spiritual maturation journey that allows us to rest in peace at the top of the great mountain that breaks the destructive force of the wave. And that mountain, of course, is our God. So we are in the midst of COVID and we're also in the midst of our rest. You know, December 31st, the World Health Organization first realized that China was experiencing um, a health emergency. By January 30th, they had declared this health emergency international. And then by March 11th, they had declared it a pandemic. And as of today, April 5th, 2020, coronavirus cases are 1.2 million, 
and we have seen 66,000 lives lost. And after this period, we will mourn those lives. But I also believe that there will be a release um, of wisdom. There will be a release so that we can become conscious of all of those things that make our world so unjust, make our world so unkind, make our world so focused on religion as opposed to having a relationship with God. And so as every country is now in that restful state, we can also ready ourselves for what's to come, this beautiful awakening, God drawing us to himself and then bringing us out, bringing us out into a place where he matures us. Um, and so I, I'm excited. And you will notice that as I address, you know, the topics uh, for this podcast, that they'll fall into four broad categories, dreams and visions, um, the spiritual transformation process, which in and of itself could be a podcast all by itself, truth, forgiveness and reconciliation, or what I call mirroring Christ, and peace. Peace, peace. So I want to say thanks for listening to this introductory episode to Becoming Beautiful I Am. Until next time, rise, forgive, and live fearlessly.